This is the Breakfast Leadership Podcast. Boundaries or burnout, you make the choice. Here's your host, Michael Levitt. Welcome to another episode of the Breakfast Leadership Podcast. It's Michael here, and today I've got Aaron Smith on the line. Aaron, welcome to the show. Hey, Michael. Thanks for having me. How are you? I am awesome. Thank you again for being a part of this today. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about education, and that's something that I have cherished my entire life. I continue to learn, even now that I've entered my 50s. Uh, It's something that I continue to grow and learn and study. I've never stopped um, the education of myself. You know, yes, I went through, you know, the elementary school and junior high and high school and college and, and even after that, and, you know, different certificates in different industries. But I've always wanted to learn. And I even though, you know, that I've gotten older, my desire to learn is incredible. But today we're not talking about that. We're talking about um, the, the challenges that we're seeing in education when it comes to all of the issues that we're seeing uh, with how our, our kids are being taught and all of the circumstances and how that is playing out in our workforce today. And I know you're an expert in this because you've been in the education field for well over two decades. So you know, let's start off that conversation you know, a little bit about, about your background and, and some of the things that you're seeing now that will definitely impact the future. Well, and, and as you shared with your audience, I've definitely been in education for over two decades. I started off as a math teacher and then from there grew into the administration route. So I am currently the uh, program administrator at a place called Aviation Academy. So to kind of give you a little background with that, I work with kids, if you'll pardon the pun, through a vehicle of aviation to teach them about piloting mechanics, um, safety and security, and also engineering. So not only do kids learn about clear explorations and stuff, I get the opportunity to talk with the industry leaders in our area and sometimes throughout the country as to what their needs are and hopefully how we can bridge these opportunities to get these kids from diplomas to dollars. So it just seems like everybody's talking the same thing is is workforce development. And what I've seen is it really starts in the schools. You know, it you cannot, or should I say, you mustn't put the blame on any one particular person or idea or theory. I think it's just a combination of things that's evolved over time. And it's like an onion. Once you start peeling a layer back and you saw that one, then you pick the next layer and the next layer, and hopefully you start to rectify it along the way. And, and that's crucial. And as in anything that we discover, and I use, I'll use a farming analogy, you plant a seed and then eventually it's going to grow into whatever that seed uh, is comprised of. And if you don't nurture that seed along the way, um, the success of that seed is going to be hampered uh, mm-hmm. dramatically. And uh, if you know our, our children are not being educated in the things that they need to be educated on in order to be uh, successful contributors to society, um, it, it's going to create a lot of problems, and we're and we're seeing that in the workforce now, where there's a shortage of certain types of talent because our our kids and youth and and teenagers and even college age individuals are not being taught 
the things that they need in order to find employment today. Case in point, I was at a conference last year and uh, the former CEO of a a research institute uh, in Toronto had indicated it was a 10-year study that she was a part of and they said that by 2030, so that's a little over a decade away from now, um, 25% of the jobs that exist today will no longer exist. Now, I'm not talking because of economic downturn or anything like that. I'm, I'm just saying this particular job just don't, doesn't exist anymore. Right. You can think, you know, for example, if I was going to predict, I would say grocery cashier. Because we see what Amazon's doing, we know what Walmart's doing, and even globally, you know, they're going into a lot of the AI and self-checkout and all those things. So you'll go into a store, there won't be someone ringing up your order. Either A, you're going to do it, or as you put things in your shopping cart or basket, it's going to scan it for you, and you're just going to settle up at the door, and and away you go. Uh, So it's, and that's just one type of role. So there's new skills that we all need to learn, but unfortunately, you know, a lot of places are not teaching them. And unless you are proactive and you want to do it yourself, uh, a lot of people are missing out on some opportunities. Oh, you are so right. And, you know, I, I see pockets of opportunity because you've got a, a glimmer of hope here, a, a particular thing there, but it just seems like nobody's really connecting the dots, although they know the importance of it. And I think part of that is because, number one, definitions are not the same. For example, if you were to talk to STEM at a corporation level, I'm pretty certain they're going to have a different um, working definition than if you had somebody in a classroom such as a teacher. And in a way, that's like counting apples to oranges instead of apples to apples. And once you do that, and you can align the curriculum so that you embed skills, opportunities, and occupations in there. That's what's really going to enable kids to hit the full throttle and accelerate their momentum for learning and also their enthusiasm for learning. I think, too, one of the big things that I've noticed is, again, with um, you know, my children being um, the ages that they are, you know, I went and participated in in their classroom settings and went on field trips and, and whatnot. And, you know, it's been a while since I was their age in school. But when I went into the classroom, other than, you know, instead of a chalkboard, they had a whiteboard or a digital board type of thing. Mm-hmm. The desks, the curriculum, all of that stuff was pretty much the same stuff that I was taught in the 1970s, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying that stuff doesn't need to be taught. I mean, there's, there's elements of it, but I, I, I think that globally, um, you know, there are other nations that could be, you know, passing North America by um, in, in how, they, how they teach their kids, the, the classroom times, just everything that um, we're doing. Because again, the class, class schedule, from my understanding, was originally designed around, you know, daylight hours, farming hours, things like that. Well, um, most farms today are, are ran by, you know, huge conglomerates. I mean, yes, you have local independent farmers still, thankfully, yep. but, but for the most part, a lot of that stuff is a, is a, a big uh, industrial machine now, and um, it, it, so they need to change how they approach education. Uh, not only for you know career growth and the future of people, but just the society as a whole. 
Oh, you have to. I mean, it's like trying to use a business model 150 years ago and, and trying to plug it in and expect the same results today. You know, if you don't evolve with pedagogy resources and opportunities, you're, you're basically setting yourself up for failure. And, and I always use the analogy of a physician. When you go to a physician, you want the most advanced technology procedures and techniques rather than a doctor that's giving you penicillin that just barely came out in the 40s and 50s. You know, it, if we look at education like we look at our medicine fields and understand that we've got to advance some of these initiatives here, you know, we're, we're ultimately setting our society up for a catastrophic event. You know, the kids are so much smarter today than they were 20 years ago. And, and our, I know people don't believe me when I say that, but I see this time and time again. The, the problem is they're distracted. And what we have to do as educators, as a community, is we have to shift the way that we teach these kids so that we engage their multiple talents and advance that potential. And I think that's part of the breakdown there, is you've got teachers that are doing it, teachers that are not doing it, and unfortunately, there's more not still than there is ones that is doing it. Well, I'm sure you've seen that cartoon where there's a teacher sitting at a desk and there's all types of different animals and all of the teachers or all the students were required to climb this tree. And there mm -hmm. was a, there was a giraffe, there was an elephant and some other animals too. And I, I've often felt and I still feel this way that uh, education should be an individualistic approach um, to each student. And can you still do that with a classroom size? Uh, you know, as long as it's manageable, Yes, you can, uh, but you have to gear it in such a way um, or you can even, even group classes instead of, you know, having it broken up. You say, okay, you know, of our 400 students that attend this school, you know, 23% of them have an interest in engineering. Some of them have an interest in the arts. Some of that, you put them in the classrooms and the education component, gauge it accordingly based on their ages, but as long as they're relatively close, I'll be honest with you, if you're the difference between being in seventh grade and being in ninth grade, other than you know, puberty and you know, other things like that that are kicking in, you're still learning something. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. get get rid of the you know what grade and kind of stuff when it comes to this stuff. It's like, okay, what's your interest? Train that person on what they can do. Then by the time they get out of high school, they've got a skill set and abilities to be able to enter the workforce right then and there um, because we, we were seeing it I'm, I'm sure you've been aware of it as well where a lot of large organizations are no longer saying yeah you need a college degree to come work for us that's right that's a game changer and I'm sure academia is not pleased about that because um, again that that is an entity that needs to adapt to what society needs and well, you know, I know I've seen the studies, and I know this is a little bit dated, but um, a colleague of mine, Steve Ulsher, who is based out in San Diego, used to be in Chicago. I saw a, a segment that he was on on the Fox station in, in Chicago a few years ago where he gave a stat, and I believe it was 83% of professionals are not working in the field that their college degree is in. That's right. And I'm yeah. one of those. I'm one of those. I mean, my, my, my accounting degree... Um, while well, I use accounting occasionally, um, but I don't 
you know, I don't do it. That's not my role. Uh, so it's, it's one of those things where I think as a society and educators have to, you know, come to grips with, we need to start tailoring our educational plans to the individual, which then that makes that student thrive in something that they're really good at and they have interest in. Oh my goodness. Yes. And when you think about it, we should be individualizing things to an extent, you know, everybody has a different modality of learning. Everybody has a different um, style that they retain information. And to truly optimize it, you have to find out what their weaknesses are, what their strengths are, and counter that with differentiation to tap into their modalities. You know, and this is where you've seen this Charlie Brown, wah, 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 Ben Stein, you know, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, where he is just teaching in a monotone voice, that's what's really killing education, is that people fail to understand that what you are doing is a travesty. You've got to teach the way you would want to be taught. And if you're a hands-on person, you need to be providing hands-on activities and lessons. And, and it goes not only in the, the K-12 academia, it should be happening in the college level. I'm talking about the outside of the, the workforce courses and also in the workplace training. You know, how many times do we see workforce trainers do a PowerPoint and just give you the answers before the test? And I think every single one of your audience members would agree with me that, yeah, they're going to give you the answers for the test. So there's no need to really study and think about it. If you change the way that you approach the material, not only will you engage them, you'll far exceed the expectations of what the original attempt was supposed to be. Yeah, and you get so much professional growth when you are, you know, stretching yourself. Um, yes. And because, again, it, it won't, it, especially in the leadership field and things that I'm in, there's many times where, you know, I'll register for a webinar. And literally, you know, five minutes into it, someone will ask the question, will the slides be available after the presentation? And they'll mm -hmm. say, yes, they are. And you can literally see a significant drop of people that just completely check out and hang up from the webinar. Yeah. Uh, because they know, well, I'll just get, I'll read the slide deck, which they don't. You know, it goes into email, gets filed somewhere, and they never, ever look at it, which again is a lost opportunity in a way because you you miss the opportunity to engage, ask questions, learn, grow. Because I'm sorry, reading reading something is one thing, but actually doing the hands-on or, or getting your brain to start uh, you know using different parts of of the brain is a is a huge huge thing. And again, I think it makes it so much better when you know the the instruction for for people is created in such a way to you know to focus on on their strengths and their interest. And one thing I want to make sure, you know, that I want to make clear, and I don't want to confuse anybody by this, I'm a big fan of different approaches on how to educate. Uh, mm -hmm. like, you know, through you know, throughout my you know, my schooling career, I had, you know, several teachers that were absolutely awesome, and each one of them taught completely different from yep. the other teacher. But they were I was able to connect with them in such a way where I did really well in in all of those classes even though the, their approach was completely different but the way they did it was engaging and, and it was a way that I could I could learn and and have a human approach to it for sure oh totally and 
you know, that's only a, a, a piece of the pie, if you will. You think about it, not only should they be engaging and not necessarily like fun, um, you know, throwing a party, dancing, if you will, but really make it active and discovery learning for the kids. But one thing I bet you she'll notice when you discuss it now is each one of those teachers had a positive relationship with their kids. And that's what makes the classroom so conducive to learning because they get to know their kids. They get to know what they're interested in. They get to know what their dreams are. So when kids know they need to be serious, they take note from the teacher and then really get into that zone. And that's what creates an optimal learning environment is allowing them to truly get out of their shell and truly get to that next level. You know, we, we see this and we know this, especially when we're creating diversity in the workforce. We need more women in STEM professions. We need more minorities, bilingual speaking students, because so many companies now are multinational. You know, we want to celebrate this, but also tap into that resource that is really um, unchartered. We have some that are doing it, but there's so many more. I'm talking about millions of children, millions of adults now who can be truly learning, living better if they had that opportunity. Well, it's one of the things that I'm very fortunate um, to live where I live in Toronto, which pretty much every nation is represented in the seven plus million people that, you know, that live and work in this region. Uh, and I, you know, I worked previous organization I worked at uh, was a, a medical clinic and we collectively spoke, I think 16 different languages. Mm, wow. So, so when you have that, um, it creates a rich dynamic um, environment where, and this is advice that I give to everybody, you know, and I know for, you know, some people they may, you know, live and grow up in an area that, you know, there may only be one or two cultures there mm -hmm. and that's mm -hmm. it. Um, you know, my, my advice to people is seek to understand. Okay. Everyone comes through life from a different perspective, but seek to understand um, where the other person is coming from in their thoughts, their beliefs, um, how they see things in a non-judgmental way, of course, because I think uh, if more of us did that, it, it would cut down on a lot of the, the anger and spite and everything else that we see um, throughout society and a lot of different things. And that permeates into the school system too. You know, it's, you know, when, when you, you know, when you have, you know, classrooms and, you know, some of the parents watch, you know, one news channel and some of the parents watch another news channel, the kids are going to hear, you know, the banter and, and the, the negativity. And unfortunately that carries through. Um, but if they, if everyone would seek to understand, um, the other points of view, um, in a non-judgmental way, then we can, we can find that common dialogue uh, and make things better. So that, that's the end of my political speech for the day. <laughs> You've got my vote. There you go. Yeah, I know. I, I, I have enough headaches in my life. I do not need to be, <laughs> I, I, I do not need to be running for any type of office. No, 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 no. I'll, I'll, I'll let, I'll let other people. Um, take that uh, insanity on. I'll, I'll avoid that. Thanks. Uh, but, but so if, if you had a, a magic wand and you could say, okay, we're going to change how education works today um, at both, you know, the school level and college university level, what, what would you want it to look like? The, the first thing 
is basically to give everybody an open mindset to explore and to try new things and stop thinking in the past, this will never happen. We don't have the money for this. And, you know, I, I'm a believer in stop talking about the negative things. You just roll up your sleeves and go fix it. You know, and if you don't have the frame of mind to be positive and determined, you're not going to make a difference. You're not going to see a difference. Once you have that happen, then you bring everybody to the table because we're only bound by our imagination. And just like you said, you bring people in the community, the businesses, the schools, and you find out what really needs to get done differently. One of the ideas that I always tossed around is, what does it take to build the perfect public school? And if you really think about it, there's no right or wrong answer to it. Of course, people are going to say money. People are going to say better teachers. You know, those are some of the common answers. But that's just one part of the answer. You know, you've got to think about the brick and mortar, the resources, the tools, everything. And it, it really just starts with that open mindset. I think the other thing we have to do is we have to eradicate things that hinder um, the optimism. You know, we have teachers that are so negative, if you will. They are so fixed in their ways. And unfortunately, they're there to pick up a check. I think that's another issue we have to have. And they're side by side in some cases that are by teachers who are pouring their heart, blood, and sweat, and tears out and, and spending 12 and 13 hours a day, you know, and, and you see that difference. You see a difference in a child that is going into a classroom with bad management, and then you see a totally different young man or woman going into a teacher's room that basically lays high expectations, and you just see the power in that. You know, I, I would say those two things are probably the biggest things I, I would recommend to anybody. Well, I think collectively as a society, we all need to rally together and, and make that vision a reality. We do. We, we really do. Because you never know when your children is going to be my teacher, my preacher for my children. And, and that's the way I look at this. And, and I tell parents every day, I treat the kids in here like they're my own. And, and I tell them up front, yeah, I may have chewed some kids out, but that's because I love them. That's because I want to see them succeed. And I haven't had a parent tell me no in eight years that I've done this because they know sometimes it does take a village to raise a child because that's what our world should be about is helping others before we help ourselves. Couldn't agree more. Aaron, I've loved our conversation today. Where can people find out more about you and the awesome work that you're doing? Well, if you go to my website, wr.solutions, you'll see a little bit about me. Um, one of the things that I discovered is a systematic way to develop workplace readiness. Um, you can also go on to Amazon uh, and look at my book called Awakening Your STEM School. And I'm also coming out with a new book called Blank Check, Recreating America's Broken Schools. Available on LinkedIn at Aaron Smith, uh, Twitter at Work Readiness. You know, just reach out to me anyway. I'll be happy to help out as best as I can. That's awesome. And audience, I'll have all that information in the show notes. So 
Aaron, thank you uh, for being on the show. And then more importantly, uh, for educating our children. Um, the role and the work that you do pays big dividends for generations, not just for you know the students you, uh, you instruct and teach. Uh, their kids and their kids and their kids all have your thumbprint on it. So thank you. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun and uh, hope to talk to you again soon. Likewise. And until next time, everybody, be well. Hey, it's Michael again. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it. If you're like many people, you're dealing with some significant stress and possibly approaching burnout. I know how you feel. In 2009, my burnout led to a year of worst-case scenarios. I do not want that to happen to you. If you go to breakfastleadership.com, you can register for a free webinar on burnout prevention, as well as get a free checklist to have successful mornings. Start off each day the right way. Again, that's at breakfastleadership.com. Also, since you are a loyal podcast listener, I'm asking you to like, rate, and review my podcast on iTunes. I look at all the reviews and appreciate your comments, and it helps other potential listeners discover the content I have on the show. I appreciate you, and thanks again for listening.